mama, I'm in fear for my life from the long arm of the law. Lawman is putting into my running, and I'm so far from my home. Hey, Pittsburgh, welcome to Steel City Hockey, a podcast covering everything Pittsburgh Penguins. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. It may be the end of July, but there's plenty of hockey, specifically Penguins hockey, to talk on today's episode. Thanks for joining us again. Brian Dumoulin, the 25 year old defenseman. And the Penguins came to a contract extension agreement this week. Really exciting stuff because Dumoulin was scheduled for arbitration on Monday. But right before the meeting, he and the Penguins came to a contract extension. That's what we're going to spend most of the show on today, talking about the ramifications of that deal for Dumoulin, the Penguins, and the team as a whole, uh, specifically the defense as a whole, what uh, the blue line is going to look like for the Penguins for a long time now. They have a lot of the guys that they have on that blue line are locked up for multiple years, which is a great thing to see. Penguins are also engaged in trade talks for a third-line center. Uh, We'd heard reports that Jim Rutherford was close to acquiring a third-line center around when free agency started on July 1st. No trade ever happened. It looks like talks are heating back up right now, but no trade is imminent yet. We'll take a look into what deal could be done. And Evgeny Malkin, is he the greatest Russian hockey player of all time? One Russian magazine says yes. We'll look into the argument that makes him the best Russian-born player of all time. But let's start out with our top story. Brian Dumlin locked up to a six-year, $24.6 million deal. That gives him an average annual salary per season of $4.1 million. Reports were that the two sides were more than $2 million apart the weekend before his arbitration meeting, which was uh, July 24th, or was scheduled to be Monday, July 24th. Uh, Dumoulin was asking for reportedly $4.35 million, and the Penguins' offer was under $2 million. So the two sides were, were well apart from each other. It looked like it was going to be a messy arbitration process. Maybe the Penguins don't end up paying him $4 million per season, or at least $4 million next season. But uh, as I think true hockey fans know, In the arbitration process, the team makes their arguments for why a certain player is not worth what he's asking. And the the player hears all of the negative things, all the things that the team doesn't like about him. And that can be very hurtful for for both sides. The team might not end up winning the argument and they still have to pay uh, the salary or a salary closer to what the, the player wants. And also the player has hurt feelings because he hears all of the things that his employer doesn't like about him. I know that we don't humanize these athletes very often. I think that's part of the problem that we have as fans, that we forget that these guys are humans. And we just uh, always – I think there's a lot of people out there that say, well, why do they have to get paid so much money? Can't he take $2 million? Why does he need $4 million? He's being selfish. Well, at least in this case, I think – Put yourself in the player's position that goes for arbitration. Think about how you would feel if you got up in front of a judge and your employer or your employer's lawyer or whoever, their representative, stands up and says all the bad things you do at work. 
every single bad thing that you do and every reason that they can think of to not give you a raise, he lists in front of uh, a judge and in front of yourself. It's embarrassing, right? Of course. So that's something that both the team and the player want to avoid. And fortunately for the Penguins and Dumoulin, they were able to avoid arbitration. And he gets a fair deal. I think this is a really good deal for the Penguins and for Brian Dumoulin. $4.1 million per season is about the same that uh, that the Penguins are giving Olimata. And I know there's a lot of Penguins fans out there that are going to react. Well, Olimata is overpaid. Not really, guys. Okay, They're paying Olimata based on what they project him to be. Now, I realize that is a little bit risky business. But remember, Mata is 22 years old. He's the youngest Penguin on the roster. He's younger than Jake Gensel. He's younger than Matt Murray. I've said that multiple times on the show, I think. But it is a really great point that Mata, he's gone through cancer. He went through multiple injuries over the last couple years. He's run into a lot of unfortunate things since that great rookie season that he had when he was 18 a few years ago. Uh, the Penguins are confident that he'll get back to that level. And we saw uh, glimpses of that level during the 2017 playoffs. So I believe that Mata is going to get to that level. I believe that the six-year, $24.5 million deal that he signed in February of 2016 will end up being a team-friendly deal, at least a fair deal for Mata and the Penguins. And he is locked up for a long time. So as I said, he got six years, $24.5 million. Dumoulin, Six years, $24.6 million. So the deals are almost identical. And uh, I, I think that's really where Dumoulin... I think Dumoulin wanted at least the uh, what Olimata got. And I, the Penguins getting him for the same is probably a victory for them. Because if you look at these two players, Mata could end up passing Dumoulin, especially offensively. But last season, and really the last two playoff seasons... Dumoulin has been a top-line defenseman, a top-pairing guy, definitely top four, but he was the number one guy for the Penguins without Chris Letang in the 2017 playoffs. He led the team in minutes played in 2017 postseason, and in the last two postseasons combined, he's played more minutes than anybody in the league. Of course, Letang missed this past postseason, but still, uh, the, the back-to-back champs, the player that's played the most minutes for them, Brian Dumoulin. Hard to believe, I know, but that player has to be extremely important. No matter what his statistics say, if he's racking up all those minutes and his team keeps winning playoff games. Among the players that that skated at least in half of the regular season games, or more than half, excuse me, more than half of the games played in 2016-17 for the Penguins, Dumoulin led all those skaters in ice time as well. Uh, Chris Letang was, uh, was first in average ice time per game for the Penguins, but he only played 41 games. And uh, Ron Hainsey was second, but he only played about 15 regular season games, uh, approximately. So, of anybody who played more than 41 regular season games for the Penguins last year, who had the highest per game time on ice average? Brian Dumoulin. I think those statistics speak for themselves. Other statistics, yeah, Dumoulin isn't going to shine Statistically, he's not an offensive, offensively gifted defenseman. One goal, 15 points in 70 games this past regular season. 
He, ha- he has two goals, 33 points in 163 career regular season games. And then in 54 playoff games, in the big games, he shows up with some goals, right? He had, he had the, the first goal of game six against San Jose in the Stanley Cup final a couple years ago or last season. Three goals, 14 points in 54 playoff games. So, yes, he's not offensively gifted. He's not going to record a bunch of goals or even assists. Uh, even his Corsi numbers aren't outstanding. 0.9 Corsi for relative percentage each of the last two regular seasons. Um, and he had a very good Corsi percentage in 2015-16, above 53%. That dropped a little bit to 50.7%. The Corsi relative percentage stayed the same, but uh, his overall Corsi percentage dropped uh, slightly. He's not going to overwhelm you with possession. He's not going to score a lot of goals or rack up a bunch of points, but he is a dependent defensive defenseman. And there's something to be said for that, even in today's NHL. Actually, I think it's even something to be said even more for that in today's NHL because there is less scoring. There's, There's fewer goals in today's game. So defensive defensemen, you would think, are more important than ever, right? Um, I I would think. I guess you could argue the opposite, that, well, offensive defensemen are are even more important because there's there's less scoring. So you need more scoring from your your number one defenseman. I I, I guess you could argue it that way as well. But what I would say is just because you're a defenseman that doesn't score doesn't mean you're not worth four or five million dollars per season. And this is a guy that's played a bunch of minutes. He also played a bunch of minutes hurt. Broke his hand in game five against Columbus in the first round of the playoffs this past season. And he continued to play and continued to break his hand repeatedly. Multiple times. Dumoulin said he lost track of how many times he broke his hand during the postseason after game five, after the first round. That's incredible. That he And he didn't miss a game, and he led the team in minutes. That's a guy I want on my team. I don't care. Well, of course, within reason. But the $4 million, $4.1 million, is definitely worth it to have a guy that can lead your team in minutes, help you win, and play through multiple injuries, multiple the, the same injury repeatedly done multiple times. Uh, that's a guy I definitely want on my roster. As I mentioned at the top of the show, this deal means that the Penguins' defense is going to be pretty much the same for the next three seasons. Five-sixths of the Penguins' starting defense heading into this season is signed through the 2020 season. Schultz and uh, Matt Hunwick are the the guys that are signed through the next three years. So they're 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 going to need a new contract. I, I would assume Hunwick probably won't get a new contract when he's 35 in 2020, from the Penguins anyway. But um, Schultz will need a new deal at the end of the 2020 season. Uh, Omada and, and Latang need a new deal at the end of the 2022 season. And now Dumoulin has signed up the longest. He's he's locked up through 20, 2023. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's great. That's awesome that, that five-sixths of the defense for the Penguins are, are locked up through the next uh, three years. We won't see a lot of change on defense. And really, I, I look, we know what this team has offensively. Uh, their, their identity is not going to change. But I do believe that over the next three years, that if the Penguins are going to make another run at the Stanley Cup, it's going to be because of the consistency on their blue line and because of Matt Murray. 
again, Matt Murray is going to only be coming into his prime at this point, which is a scary thought. You would think he could compete for a Venza, Venza trophy at some point down the line. And you got Latang, Dumoulin, Mata, Schultz, and Hunwick all locked up for three seasons. The only guy not signed past this year is Ian Cole. And I would guess that the Penguins would want to keep Cole. It's going to depend on how much money he wants in uh, free agency next next June. But uh, it also is going to depend on how Derek Pouliad develops. If Pouliad develops finally into what he should be, then I think the Penguins are going to say, Cole, thank you very much, but we're going to move on with our youngster Derek Pouliad and sign him to maybe a three-, four-year deal, and then the Penguins are set for a long time on defense. If Pouliad struggles then maybe they open up the wallet for Ian Cole. But right now, the defense, maybe not a ton of depth after those six guys, six or seven guys. There's not much in uh, the, the the defensive uh, cupboard for Rutherford after those guys. But these five, six, and if you count Pouliad, seven guys heading into this season, you really like the looks of the blue line for not only this season, but for years to come. It's in really great shape. With the Dumoulin deal as well, there is $6.28 million left approximately, according to CapFriendly.com, for the Penguins to re-sign Connor Sheary, who's their last restricted free agent, and to do what we're going to talk about next after the break. Welcome back to Steel City Hockey, a podcast covering everything Pittsburgh Penguins. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. Well, before the break, I mentioned that uh, the Penguins have about $6.28 million left in free agent, uh, in uh, salary cap space. With Connor Sheary still left to sign, which uh, we could debate how much he's going to get. We might talk about that next week because his hearing is, uh, I believe it's August 4th. Yes, it is. August 4th. Just double-checked there. Uh, that's next Thursday. Hard to believe that it's going to be August already. August, when I heard Shiri's hearing was August 4th, I said, oh, wow, we got a, a ways to go for that. Not really. <laughs> it's next Thursday. So, um, or next, fr- next Friday, next Friday. Um, so, yeah, hard to believe it's already August. We're hitting the trade deadline in baseball um, very soon in the next few days. But anyway, uh, so they got six, the Penguins have 6.8, 6.28 million dollars left in free agency in, in salary cap space uh, that they can spend in free agency and Shiri is gonna probably take up maybe four million of that it's quite possible we'll have to wait and see that's something we'll probably discuss next week but uh, between three and four million dollars you have to think that Shiri will take up with that 6.28 that will leave about two million dollars approximately. And the Penguins would still like to trade for a third-line center. Now, a couple of things here. If they're going to go big, I know there's been some talk that they're trying to go big with, with, with Matt Duchesne or Jordan Stahl, then it's going to cost the Penguins something on their current roster. Now, with their avalanche, it's also going to cost them something in the future, a future asset, a first-round pick, without a doubt, for Matt Duchesne, 
Absolutely. He's worth a first-round pick. So it's going to be a first-round pick and then somebody like Carl Hagelin. Uh, I know that Olimata has also been mentioned in some of these trade talks. Possible, possible, but we just talked about how nice the Penguins' blue line looks right now with everybody signed for a long period of time. I don't know if that would lead Jim Rutherford to then break that up and, and give up one of his youngest defensemen, his youngest player, a guy that he is trying to sell everybody on his potential in a trade for a third-line center. I, I'm not sure about that. But uh, my point here is that if the Penguins make a trade or when they make a trade, it seems like it's more of when than if, they're going to have to give up an NHL player. Because they don't have the salary cap space to fit even a guy like Tyler Bozak from the Toronto Maple Leafs. That's somebody else that's been rumored to be uh, of interest for the Penguins. And that makes a lot of sense because he would reunite with his former teammate, former linemate with Phil Kessel on the third line. You'd think Kessel moves back to the third line. There was all that talk about Kessel being part of trade talks. Don't think that's true. But I do think there's some... uh, belief in the in the organization that the Penguins are at their best when all their superstars have their own line. I don't think it's because Malkin doesn't want to play with Phil Kessel, but I think it's partially because, hey, our team was at its best in 2016 when Kessel had his own line with Nick Bonito and Carl Hagelin, and, and we would like to recreate the HBK line with a different beat, Bozak. So maybe that's possible. But again, for a couple reasons, salary cap space, and because Toronto believes more than likely that they're a contender this season, they're going to want somebody back from the Penguins' NHL roster. And I think that's fine to some degree because the Penguins have wingers to give up and they're going to want to make some salary cap space. Maybe Carl Hagelin is the guy to give up. Hagelin, I love him. He's a great player. He really, when he's healthy, he really gives the Penguins an X factor. His speed has been great for this team, uh, a team that stresses skating and quickness. He would fit in very well with Toronto, who, who stresses the same thing. But um, I, I think he is expendable because he costs $4 million. It's a little bit high for a bottom six player, which is really where he should be if the Penguins are healthy. And uh, he's he's signed for another season at $4 million past this year. And I think the Penguins would like to use that money elsewhere for Brian, to re-sign Brian Rust, to re-sign Patrick Hornquist. So to me, the most obvious player to trade would be Carl Hagelin. Olimata might be another guy. I don't see him giving up both for a third-line center, but possibly... Uh, one of them, I would lean Carl Haglin and maybe a first-round pick, depending on who the player is. I don't know if I'd give up Haglin and a first for uh, Bozak, but if you're going for a big-name guy like Jordan Stahl or, uh, or Matt Duchesne, especially if those teams are willing to keep some of the salary on their uh, roster, on, on, on their uh, salary cap uh, hit, um, then, then uh, you definitely would have to throw in the first rounder and, and a, a NHL player. So uh, we'll see. It, there are reports that that Rutherford is in talks again, as I said at the top of the show. But also, I would not be surprised, and a lot of people are saying this as well, if a trade does not happen until September or even until after the season starts. I am confident, and that uh, and Jim Rutherford, I think, is also confident. That uh, if as long as Crosby and Malkin are healthy, they can carry this team at the beginning of the season. That the Penguins can kind of 
fill in at the third third line and fourth line center. Uh, the other factor to, to uh, weigh in here to consider is Matt Cullen. He could come back. There are he's not officially retired yet. He 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 is I think considering a return. Uh, it's already the end of July, so I would assume that his decision is coming soon. But we will see. If he returns, then I definitely don't think Rutherford has to make a trade anytime soon because Cullen, in the short term, could be that third-line center or Cullen could be the fourth line and maybe they have Carter Rowney as the, the third-line center. As long as Crosby and Malkin are healthy, that is a lineup that can win regular season games. Come playoff time, no. I think they have to make a trade before the playoffs. That's not a, not, uh, a roster or, or um, the center depth that you want for the playoffs. And if an injury happens, if Crosby or Mall could get hurt in training camp or in the beginning of October or whatever, then I, things change. They, they will have to get a, a third-line center to play <laughs> on the second line until Crosby or Mall can come back. But uh, for now, Rutherford can wait and try and get the best deal possible. Make the other team the desperate team to make a trade. Uh, the Penguins do not have to be desperate. When you're desperate, that's when you make mistakes in trading. Try and make the other team desperate. That's when Rutherford is at his best when he's making deals. But speaking of Malkin, mentioned him a couple times here when we're talking about the Penguins centers. The Sport Express, a Russian magazine, ranked the, the 10 best Russian hockey players of all time. Now, when we when they ranked the hockey players, they didn't include anybody that that didn't play in the NHL. So those guys that were part of the Red Army or whatever it was called back in the 70s and early 80s that just dominated international hockey at the Olympic level, uh, those guys were not included on the list. So uh, those guys, probably one of those guys would be number one if you're looking at uh, uh, all-time hockey players. Of course, it's hard to compare them to guys that have played in the NHL, but only looking at NHL Russian players, Malkin came in at number one. And the reason why that's kind of surprising is because Malkin did not make the NHL's top 100 list that was released back over All-Star Weekend in January. And the guys that the top, the other top three players on this sporting Sport Express list, Pavel Datsuk, Sergei Fedorov, and Alex Ovechkin all made the list. So Malkin ranked ahead of these guys on this list but didn't make the NHL's top 100, and the other three guys, Datsuk, Fedorov, and Ovechkin, did. Now, Penguin fans all know that Malkin should absolutely be on that NHL top 100 list, and I would I would absolutely agree with that. He should. He was the biggest, perhaps the biggest snub, the the biggest current snub, current player snub for the top 100 list. Um, so, whether or not he's the clear-cut number one Russian-born player. It was nice to see Malkin get the recognition that he that he deserves um, to be close to the top, if not at the top, of the, the Russian-born players. So I, I love this list. Um, I know that some people are going to say, well, Malkin benefits from, from playing with Crosby. Well, the most amazing stat from Malkin's career, in 151 games playing with Crosby, in the regular season, 151 games with Crosby, he's averaged 1.51 points per game. In 115 games without Crosby during the regular season, Malkin has averaged 1.35 points per game. His points per game average goes up 0.2, almost a quarter of a point when Crosby doesn't play. That is incredible. 
any argument that anybody wants to make to you about how Malkin benefits from playing with Crosby is complete hogwash. Complete hogwash. Malkin could carry a team all by himself. He loves the Penguins. He loves playing in Pittsburgh. He's great friends with Sidney Crosby. So there's no Kyrie Irving, <laughs> uh, uh, LeBron James rivalry here. There, there's no Irving uh, syndrome in Evgeny Malkin. He would never go to the Penguins and say, well, I want to win on my own. I want to be traded so that I can prove that, you know, to my legacy that I can win a Stanley Cup by myself. No, there's none of that ego in Malkin. I'm not saying he doesn't have an ego, but I'm just saying he is perfectly uh, fine with riding shotgun for the Penguins and winning multiple Stanley Cups, and as he should. I mean, winning Stanley Cups is the name of the game, and he's won three more than Alex Ovechkin, has won multiple Stanley Cups like other top Russian players, Datsuk and Fedorov. So for that reason, that reason alone, really, Malkin should be close to the top of the list of the Russian players. Um, and he has an argument to be number one because also he's he's a fantastic player, averaging over well over a point per game in his career. Uh, that just doesn't happen in today's NHL, guys. And without Crosby, that number, that's not that's not a small sample size either. That's well over a season, 115 games, a season and a half almost, 1.35 points per game. That's how much. That's how many points Crosby's averaged in his career. Uh, I think he's at 1.32, so about the same level as Sidney Crosby. And when you're being compared to Crosby, obviously that's a great thing. So um, I wrote a fun article, not for the hockey writers, but for FanRag Sports that you can check out on my Twitter or. Um, uh, check out check it out at fanragsports.com. Uh, talking about alternate NHL history, what would have happened if if the Washington Capitals had picked Evgeny Malkin in the 2004 draft instead of Alex Ovechkin? How would the NHL be different? Would would the Capitals have a Stanley Cup? Would the Penguins have multiple Stanley Cups as well? Um, yeah, I, I think yes to both. I, honestly, I think uh, Malkin would make a difference for the for the Capitals. He would make their uh, their team better down the middle, um, and and give them a, a a edge in the playoffs that that Malkin has given the Penguins um, mentally to to get over the hump. And I think it would change Ovechkin's legacy. Maybe Ovechkin would be number one on the Russian list if he was on the Penguins because he would have multiple Stanley Cups. Maybe not three, but I think they the Penguins would have at least two Stanley Cups with Ovechkin. I, the reason why I would say maybe they don't have three is because Washington might have won one of the last two years if, if they had Malkin. Uh, you don't know. Um, but it was a fun article to write. Obviously, it's all hypothetical, but uh, it's July, so sometimes it's hard to find stories. And it, it was kind of a fun article to uh, – it was a fun hypothetical to think about. So if, if you're interested in that, check that out at fanragsports.com. You can also check it out on my Twitter at DM Holcomb, D-M-H-O-L-C-O-M-B. You can send me comments about the show there as well or email me, holcombmdavid at gmail.com. Before we end today's show, I have a, an announcement to make. We're actually going to end Steel City Hockey uh, next week, at least take a little bit of a break from the show. I'm going to have a little bit of my own off season. So next week, August 2nd, will be the last uh, Steel City Hockey podcast, at least until the start of the season. I might kick it back off then, but for now, uh, it'll be, uh, I guess, indefinitely, you know, postponed or, or stopped 
for the time being. I've really enjoyed doing this show, and I'll thank everybody next week who's been involved. But uh, I just wanted to thank the listeners out there for for uh, uh, paying attention and making it worthwhile doing this. I enjoy doing this just for myself, but it, it makes it worthwhile also that I have people out there listening and, and caring about uh, Penguins hockey just like I do. So thank you very much for listening uh, today and hope you join us for our last episode next week, August 2nd. Enjoy your week, everybody.